over time, words have sometimes changed their meaning. Have they not? Uh, the very idea of the word literally, for instance, said all the time, I literally mean this, but no, you actually mean figuratively. But literally is actually a word of great precision, and all the English teachers are laughing right now. What else? Meat. Meat, the thing we eat that refers to animals, used to refer to all types of food. Did you know that? Meat was just what you ate. Do you know what an addict is? Well, yes, most of us know an addict is someone that's addicted to something. But way back in the 13, or way back in the time, in Roman times, addicts were people with no money that were given as slaves to people they owed money to. In other words, if you couldn't afford to pay your debt, you became a slave and therefore an addict of your master. A little different than the word we use today. And then there's that word we throw around all the time now awful. That food tasted awful. Well, what you're really saying, if you look at the word, is that was wonderful. That was the greatest food I've ever eaten. But in today's vernacular, that word has changed meaning to being awful, to being terrible, to being disgusting, gross, or whatever. But if you break it down, awful, full of awe. Wow. So if your children tell you the food is awful, you say, thank you. I'm glad you liked it couple more. What about the word nice? You all are a nice-looking bunch today, aren't you? You look very nice. But what if we went back to the Latin in the 14th century? I would be calling you ignorant, foolish, or silly. You are not any of these things. You are genuinely nice and compassionate and patient people, and I'm grateful for that. But words, whether we like it or not, carry great weight. The words that come out of our mouth, the words that we think in our minds and in our hearts, they carry significant weight and they impact how we interact with our world and with our God. We don't like to admit that. In fact, we live in a day and age where things like promises and our word, which we'll talk about in a minute, are very loosely defined terms under the threat or under the guise or under whatever we want to call it of what's called relativism. What's right for you isn't necessarily what's right for me. What feels good for you, that's for you to worry about. We like that right up until it impacts us personally. We like that right up until how it changes life. Then we wish people followed the rules, the words they'd confess to live by. We, then we begin to think, oh, maybe our words do have meaning. So how do we carry our words? How do we use them, especially in the context of making promises and commitments? We live in a society here in Hong Kong where your signature is your deed, I know this because I've signed numerous checks in my own handwriting that have been returned to me saying it's not me. My signature has to look just right because that is a covenant with me and the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation that I verify they can take this money out of my account. And if the signatures don't match, then they won't do it and they'll send me back the check and say, try again. And at one point, this got so difficult that I had to go into the bank and I said, could I see my signature? Because I don't remember how I signed it nine years ago. Our words and our commitments have weight. 
And we don't always like to admit that people take that seriously, even if we do not. And that's where we find ourselves in our scripture reading this morning. And by the way, if you paid attention to Janet, you got it. She did a great job. Thank you, Janet. That's what we're talking about this morning. But hopefully I can take us a little deeper in how it affects us and impacts our lives. But what we're going to do this morning is to make sure you're awake and with me because these are significant things. Remember, Jesus is redefining righteousness, not as an act of simply obeying the law, but a very act of living before God and man in a way that is pure and devoted fully to him. And everything we do is about the glory of God, not just to please man and follow the rules of man. Okay, so he's looking into the Pharisees, he's looking at the religious leaders, and he's looking at the Jews of the day and saying, you don't even get it. Righteousness is much bigger than what you think it was. And so what we're going to do here is I'm going to read what's in black and you're going to follow along and read what's in red. You got it? Just to make sure you track with me and what's going on. Not long, just a few verses today. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Oh, Lord, I confess to you that there are times when I've made commitments and oaths that I have not taken seriously. Lord, we're a people that sometimes don't take our very words seriously, that we don't carry them with the weight of which they've been given. And I pray, Lord, that my words would be few, but that we would hear from you this morning, that you would teach us from your word as we seek to grow together to be more like your son, full of the truth of Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen. So we look, and Jesus looks, and he's just finished talking to the people about one of the greatest commitments you can make, that of marriage, and how they had defiled that and begun to allow divorce and made all sorts of loopholes and exceptions. And he turns his gaze now to the concept of oaths. And if you think to me, well, Mike, I haven't been called into court lately. Well done, Janet, reminding us of... Put your left hand on the Bible, your right hand in the air. In fact, even that they're trying to get rid of in certain parts of America. But maybe you haven't taken those oaths. But most of you, if you think about it, have taken many oaths that you are currently bound upon. What do I mean? Well, in Hong Kong, if you have a job, you sign a contract. Fancy word for oath, ladies and gentlemen. If our word is our deed, we have signed a contract there. Some of you still haven't replaced it, but some of you have a nice little band around your left ring finger. I will get a new one, I promise. (laughs) But anyway, whether I have it or not, I still made a solemn oath and promise before God first, Melissa second, and all those with us third. Did I not? 
you're married, you've made an oath. Others of you have been granted visas or permanent residency or citizenship here in Hong Kong. Therefore, you have agreed to abide by the laws and statutes of this special administrative region that we live in. Whether we agree with them or not, we have made a covenant, an oath. Words are all around us. Our word has been carried out and oaths are made all the time. But in today's society, well, that one's not very convenient with me, so I'm going to break it. I made this commitment, but nah, I'm not going to keep that one today. And that was the culture that Jesus found himself speaking into when he makes these statements 2,000 years ago. Oaths, promises, and the very words that people carried had lessened in meaning. And Jesus was out to get people back to the integrity of character that comes from speaking from the heart, carrying the weight of the words of God. That when we speak and when we make a covenant, it is before God first. Okay? Well, what do I mean when I keep using this word, word? Well, I, I had fun thinking through this and, and writing through this this week, and I thought, well, what about the word, word? If you think about the meanings of word. First, you see a bunch of them on the screen, do you not? Those are words. It's because we're an English-speaking church, we're using English, but they're a group of Arabic letters joined together to make something that sounds like something we can then comprehend and understand its meaning and communicate to others. Correct? That is a word. However, if I look at someone here today and I say, I give you my word, I am not simply saying I give you the letters that are joined together so you can understand. No, I give you my reputation and I promise before you that I am entering into a verbal or a handshaking physical or signed contract with you that I will do what I say. I give you my word. And okay, okay, we get that so far. But you know, for us that know this word, there's an even deeper meaning. Because John 1 teaches us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. And even the very word, word, has richness and depth that as we go through our daily lives, we probably miss. Do I think about the fact that Jesus is the Word and I carry Him with me all the time? Sadly, I probably don't. There are probably times when I don't do that. And that is beginning with what Jesus is teaching us here. Well, some of you like English a lot and like Old English, and so you may have read the Canterbury Tales, hopefully in the newer English because the Old English is pretty hard to understand. But... Chaucer famously said that truth is the highest thing that man may keep. Interesting that a guy that wasn't necessarily the most moral of human beings based on what he'd written, he understood that to tell the truth was the highest thing that man may keep. Jonah Hill, a famous actor today, a comedic actor, short and kind of chubby guy, recently got himself into a precarious situation where the paparazzi began attacking him and began calling him names and deeply offended him. 
And his response in that situation was one of bigoted anger. And he responded in a way that was completely inappropriate. And of course, because he's a famous celebrity, caught on smartphones. And so it spread out, and everybody heard that Jonah Hill was a bigot against a certain people group that you're not supposed to say those things about today. And Jonah Hill then had to get on a famous TV show in America, and in front of however many millions of people watched, he had to apologize. And I watched this, and I thought it was interesting what Jonah Hill had to say. Not, as far as I know, a Christ follower. But he said, how you mean things... And this is Jonah Hill saying this. That doesn't matter. Words have weight, whether I like it or not. And he had used words, and he had used his name to speak these very words, and he realized that whether he meant it or not, his words had great weight. And in this case, they got him in trouble, and he was going before a national television audience to apologize. But let's, let's go deeper with tradition because we like this idea that we are to be people of integrity, people of our word, right? For instance, you may have heard, say what you mean and... Okay, let's try again. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Let's not play these passive-aggressive games where people are trying to figure each other out. Let's say what we mean and mean what we say. That's a famous one. Or what about this? A guy named... George Brock said, truth exists, only falsehood has to be invented. Truth exists, only falsehood has to be invented. Albert Einstein, if you feel more the scientific approach, he says, whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters. This a pretty smart man knew the need to speak the truth. If you'd prefer pop culture from a long time ago, Rodney Griffin and Babby Mason, if that name means anything to you, old-time singers, sang a song once that said this, you know, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You want me to say that again? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. If, because we're coming from all over, if, if you wonder what that means, essentially, you can tell people you're doing the right thing, but they're much more concerned with the actions that back up those words. And that's from an old, famous song. You see, any way you look at it, we make promises. We make them all the time. But when we do, do we carry the words with which these promises are made with the weight and integrity that comes from the Lord. And that's that's a heavy thing to think through. But we have to understand that God is a God of promises. He is a God of oaths. As Janet told us, over 200 times oaths are made in the Old Testament. And many of those are God. Look at the Abrahamic covenant. Look at the Davidic covenant, the Noadic covenant. These are God swearing on his own name that he will do what he says, promising that he'll do what he says. And then look at what he tells us. He says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him 
and take your oaths in his name. So in other words, if you're giving an aim, or giving an oath, you're doing it in the name of the Lord. And he is worthy to be feared. Therefore, it's scary if you break a promise before God. He is worthy to be feared. And we'll talk about that idea of condemnation and judgment as we progress. And if that's not enough, consider this. You shall not bow down to idols. Okay? These are the Ten Commandments. And look at the first few. You shall have no other gods before me. I lost my place. You shall not miss, bow down to idols. And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. You carry that name with you. In fact, if you follow the, the translation exactly, you're literally carrying, and you've heard me talk about this before, you're carrying the name of God with us wherever we go when we are adopted into his family. It's a big deal. But when we consider the idea of swearing an oath today, we often think about it in romantic terms. We often think of it as touchy-feely. It's a good oath for the moment. And some of you are children of the 90s, maybe. And so I thought I would remind you of what an oath looked like to my generation so that you weren't confused. You ready? You might recognize this. Feel free to sing along and don't be embarrassed that you know all the words like I do. I see the questions in your eyes. I know what's weighing on your mind. You can be sure I know my Cause I stand beside you. gentlemen, you have there an example of well-intended, but what we call frivolous swearing. Why do I know that? Because he swore on the moon and the stars that he was going to love her forever. And we do that all the time. But as we look at the scriptures, we are not to be swearing on the moon and the stars and even the heaven above. And I don't question his love for that lady that he was chasing after, whomever she may be. And for those of you, including me, that had that song played at your wedding reception, well done. <laughs> but what happens is we begin to think that just because it feels good now, we can break that oath later. Because we've taken an oath that is neither necessary nor proper nor appropriate, William Barclay said. It's frivolous. I can't swear on the trees. I can't swear on the heaven. And what the people of Jesus' time were doing was they were trying to avoid swearing in the name of the Lord 
And so they were swearing and other stuff. And they were lessening the value of their promises. Listen to what one guy explains it. He said, people who did this swore by their life or what all, whatever it might be for almost anything. Okay? And then he gives an example. He said, the result was even the most solemn statements appeared to be very devalued. If we promise and we swear on everything, the phrase in and please do not use this lightly, but you hear it used lightly all the time. I swear to God. That is not lightly to be used. But what's happened is we've turned it into a frivolous act of just whatever. Think about it like this. One man illustrates that it was exactly as if a servant who lived in the household of an honorable state official. I was at the Christian Alliance groundbreaking last weekend, and I heard the full title of the acting chief executive of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region every time someone mentioned her name. That was Carrie Lam because C.Y. Lung was on vacation. Okay? And so every time someone got up, it was the honorable acting chief executive of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region, Mrs. Carrie Lam. Every single time, except then I forgot to give the whole title when I referred to her. But what happens is, let's say you live in her home. And when you first go in, you call her ma'am or missus or the acting most, you know, the full title, however you say it. But then you also go on and you look at the chair and you say, that is such an honorable chair. Man, that's a good chair. Or you go around talking about the honorable house. This house is full of honor. Or the honorable mop. Whew, this is a good mop. Or the dishpan that cleans the honorable dishes of the most honorable chief executive of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Union. When we begin to throw words like honorable around everywhere, do they have the same value as when they're ascribed properly? No, they don't. It becomes frivolous. It, someone's picked on me in the past. I like to use the word awesome. Probably not always when it's deserved or warranted. I, in my own speech, have devalued a word that should point me to God himself as one who is worthy of great awe and reverence and fear. But instead, when we've considered our word, our act of an oath, we've just devalued it. There's another way we do that that we see Jesus talk about, and that's the evasive swearing. So first there's frivolous. I'm going to swear on anything because as long as it's not on God, we're okay. But the evasive is, I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head. You cannot even make one hair white or black. What's going on here is people wanted to tell you the truth, but not the whole truth. And so what they were doing was they knew that they were telling half-truth, so they didn't want to swear on the name of the Lord because they believed the judgment would come, which is true. If they swore on the name of the Lord and then broke that oath, so they would be, tell these half-truths, and then they would swear on things just under the name of the Lord. They would swear on heaven or on earth or on Jerusalem or anything else, on this chair, on whatever they could think of to evade actually making that commitment, that commitment binding. So they would come up with ways to skirt the issue. Sound familiar? 
I am from a country that is known as being a very litigious society. In other words, we like to sue each other. And when I was in elementary school, I don't know the details of the situation, but my dad would go to McDonald's and buy a cup of coffee every morning. And for years, that cup of coffee never said the following words, caution, hot. But then someone spilled their cup of coffee on them as they were driving away from the drive-thru. And rather than take responsibility for poor driving, for bad handling of a cup of coffee, or this, that, or the other, they sued McDonald's and won. Because McDonald's apparently had made a covenant not to make that coffee so hot that it would injure them. And they didn't warn her properly that if she did spill that coffee on her, it would be hot. She misunderstood and began to evade looking at what truly matters in our word. And she chased a frivolous, evasive commitment that was not what God intends us to be as men and women of character. Examples are given by Jesus. You could swear by your head and by the hairs on your head. And what does Jesus say? You can't change the color, your natural hair color. I know today we can change our hair color if we really want to. But that's not what he's referring to. He's not referring to hair dye. God has made you this way. You can't swear on that and expect it to change. You can't swear on the temple, on heaven, Jerusalem. These were all forms of evasive swearing it. Uh, what's this evasive swearing, Mike? I don't get it. Well, do you understand the concept of a half-truth? Tell people what they want to hear, but not the whole picture? Well, yes, this house is in a great location, right next to the dump, you know? Or, yes, this thing works properly some of the time. Yes, I will marry you, but I've also got three wives and girlfriends in other places. We have become a culture that's very comfortable with half-truths. And Jesus was deeply concerned about that. Why? Because an oath, a promise, as we already saw, is carrying the name of God with us. It is a before him. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say. He even takes it even further. He says, above all, don't swear, not by heaven, not by earth, or by anything else. Let. He's repeating the words of Jesus. Let your yes be yes and your no be no or you will be condemned or you will fall under condemnation, the ESV says it. Or if you look at it and you break it down, you will fall down under the judgment of God. So how do we look at that? Well, I think we need to understand a few things about our word. There's an old movie where in the, the process of trying to break a code, it's called Sneakers. Great movie. Loved that movie. And the password was, my word is my deed. If our word is our deed today, then we as Christians need to understand where that word comes from. And it comes from the glory of God himself. When we make a promise, when we make a covenant, if we are carrying the name of Jesus Christ, if we are carrying the name of God the Father with us all the time by not misusing his name, remember all the way back to the commandment, then when we carry that name, we are remembering that he is glorious, that he is to be feared. 
In other words, it is a scary thing to break a promise you've made before God and must not be taken lightly. And oh yeah, there's something else we need to remember about God. If we are made in his image, if we are made to be like his son, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, growing up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, then do we understand that God always keeps his word? Shouldn't we? But Mike, you don't understand. There's extenuating circumstances. I didn't know what I was getting into, but did you promise? Yes. It gets difficult after that. Jesus tells us, James repeats, say what you mean. Mean what you say. Don't look for loopholes. Be men and women of character. Be men and women of integrity. These are not things that are highly valued all the time today. But Jesus isn't concerned whether they're highly valued by culture. He's saying this is what God expects. You don't have to swear on anything. You're carrying my name with you wherever you go. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your walk talk louder than your talk talk. Let your actions be known before all men so that they may see you, see me in you and rejoice in God the Father. When we walk, when we talk, we carry the very name of God with us. And when we make those commitments, we represent him. And therefore, a right response, a yes being yes and a no being no, glorifies God and, as Janet reminded us, shows people the good news of Jesus Christ. Because frankly, we live in a society where promises are broken every day. We expect it. We're used to it. What if we were different? What if our yeses were yes and our noes were no? What if we understood what the old editor of Christianity Today said years ago? Tongue control, something James talks about a lot. It will never be achieved unless there is, first of all, heart and mind control. The tongue is the servant of the mind and the emotions. Huh. Well, Jesus says, don't swear on any of these things. He's not condemning oaths. He's saying, understand that when you make a commitment, it is before God. Don't swear on all this other stuff. I'm with you. And then we understand, well, I will try my best to say the right thing. Good for you. You're going to succeed? Not if that's the end of the commitment. Because we have to understand, as Frank Dr. Frank Gabalin, I'm trying to pronounce his name here, understood that it starts in the heart and the mind. You see, we're going to have a hard time living as men and women of integrity if Jesus Christ hasn't first transformed our hearts. If we haven't understood that our lives are his to lead and to guide and to direct all the time. If we haven't surrendered ourselves to him, we're going to be trying to say and do the right thing in our own strength. And inevitably, we will fail, fall, and break down. But if we have let the very blood and life of Jesus Christ so transform our hearts that all of the words that come out of us are his words committed to him. But Mike... I'm just having a conversation with the guy. It wasn't a big, serious thing. Even those little words 
can be honoring to God. Not just the big oaths. Even the littlest of words carries weight. Jonah Hill figured that out the, 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 the hard way. But tongue control isn't the beginning. It doesn't start with making a promise out loud. It starts with our heart. How do I know this? Well, look at something else Jesus had to say. A great passage for us to remember. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So my question is, what is the condition of our heart to be making commitments before God? Is our heart overflowing with worship to the glory and praise of his great name that we sang about all morning? Or is my heart cluttered with all the things I want? And that can be difficult to reconcile at times. But we're not there. You see, for us as Christ followers, Jesus looked out and he said, don't, don't make frivolous promises that you can't keep. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And by doing so, show that I have transformed your heart. For out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouths? Do words that edify come out? Do words that build up come out? Does the truth come out? If a commitment made is a commitment kept, is that how we're known? If we walk into each other's workplaces, are we known as the guy that never does what they say or the guy that doesn't even have to be asked? They just follow through. And more importantly, do we understand that when we give our word as Christians, we're carrying the very name of God with us and we are representing him as his ambassadors? I know that's a heavy thing, but that's a great and glorious privilege that's full of power. Did you know today is Pentecost Sunday? 40 days from Easter. Seven weeks ago was Easter. And one of the amazing things was, was the Holy Spirit fell upon these people waiting for God and he spoke through them in ways they didn't even understand. And it changed their lives. And Jesus tells us that I will give you one to teach you. I will give you one to convict you of your sins. And if you come up and someone questions your word, I will speak on your behalf. If you're speaking with me. You see, God didn't leave us alone. Jesus didn't leave us behind when he returned and ascended. He left us with the Holy Spirit saying, I will guide you, I will empower you, I will teach you, and I will fill your heart. Give me your life and your heart and let me mark your words. Let me mark your commitments and let me guide your steps. So today, we might know the words, but I pray that we would be men and women of our word because we live knowing the word.
Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you that they are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. And I pray that we would be people of character, people of integrity, and people that carry your name with us wherever we go. And we do so proudly and boldly and truthfully. In your name I pray. Amen.